Will you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, for gathering in your great name. Now, Lord, I just pray that you would take your word, the word that you wrote, and Lord, it is so much deeper, it is so much more powerful, oh God, the thoughts that you have in this than I could ever discern. But I pray, Holy Spirit, you would draw out life-changing truths. You would make your word so memorable and livable in our hearts. We thank you this is your intention. We thank you for what you're going to do in these few minutes together. We are careful to give you all the glory because only you deserve it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. I'm going to ask you if you would turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. We're going to look at about five verses together on this. Um, and while you're turning there, you know, the whole message really is contained in these five verses. So we're going to let everybody get their second Kings 13. And we're going to start reading at verse 15. And I'm reading and I'll begin reading second Kings 13. Verse starting verse 15. And Elisha said unto him. Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said unto the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you shall smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou hast consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, You should have smitten five or six times. Then had you smitten Syria till you had consumed them. Whereas now you shall smite Syria but thrice. And Elisha died. This is um, a story about a young king in Israel. Joash was young at this point. And he visits Elisha and Elisha is on his deathbed. This actually is the closing scenario on the life of Elisha. Of course, who was the successor to Elijah, two mighty prophets God raised up to minister to Israel. And you can see in this that as Joash, this young king, seeks out probably understanding that we're not going to have this powerful word and this powerful prophet among us for much longer, goes and seeks something from him. And I think it's so uh, clear that this dying man, this man of God, it's such a, a picture to me of someone who at the end of their days has walked with God. There is, they have such a grasp and an understanding of what God is doing in the earth. And he has this, this man is dying yet living. And he has within him still the power to pass on 
a blessing. And the power to transmit something of God's word that will be mighty. And this young king has come. And this young man is a young leader. But he's in distress personally. And he's in distress nationally. And the scripture says that in verse 16. That Elisha the prophet put his hands on the young king's hands. And to me this is so, uh, so significant. So it is like. In a young man's hands, in a young believer's hands, in someone who is believing God for something. And that, that they, they lift up and they've got natural strength. But then there is such a picture that when his hands are covered by God's hands, symbolically speaking, by this, this prophet's hands, that he is going to have more strength than just natural strength. <clears throat> He's going to have something of God in this moment that he wouldn't have otherwise. And so this prophet is in a sense by putting his hands on top of the young king's hands. He's offering him guidance. He's offering him, uh, I'm going to show you how to do it. He's offering to him, I've come to help you. He's offering him, I'm going to now in this, I'm going to do a print. I'm going to give you a pronouncement. There, it's something significant is happening in this moment as I lay my hands on yours and ultimately he was saying your weakness is covered by my hands and he's saying by taking up the bow and the arrow beloved these are war instruments and he's saying to him now listen to me this is God's intention to fight for you but I hope it is your intention to fight with him. And so the young, the, he says, open up the window eastward. And to me, this is such a picture. He's saying to this young man, now to receive everything I have, I want you to open up the window. I want you to open up the window so you can receive what this moment is. You will not miss it. You will not you know, second guess yourself in the days to come. You'll go, did that really happen? Was there something that God was doing in this transaction? Did I, am I just putting my spin on this? He goes, no, open up the window. Open up. And I think it was an invitation to him, oh, expose areas in your heart at this moment. And it's okay because my hand is covering yours and you can even at this moment be weak. You can be vulnerable. You can, you, it is good. I have got you and this is a God moment. There can be places of failure, places of shame, but it's like he's saying, face the place in your heart where the enemy boasts and gloats over you because I want you to, at this moment, tell your heart and say to the enemy, God is with me. And it's open that window eastward because the sun rises in the east and it's like Elisha's saying, son, it's a new day. It's a new day. It's this moment. The power of new beginnings will happen for you in my word. 
Because that's what happens every time we believe the word of God, the power of a new beginning, the power of a new day in our thinking, the power of God creating and recreating something of his life in us happens when we become open to the, when we know that God is speaking and wants to speak to us. And so he says, he couldn't be any clearer. He says to the young king, shoot the arrow. And so he does. And when he shoots the arrow, the prophet of God tells him quite clearly what this is. He says, in the natural, you have shot an arrow, but it has spiritual significance. And he's saying, this is what it is. He says, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. And beloved, this is a picture of the God saying to this young man, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance is a general pronouncement. You are mine. You belong to me. You walk with me. I promise you deliverance is your bread. That I go before you in your future and the plans that I have for you, no matter how opposed you are, how confusing the moment, how at times you may feel afraid. But I want you to remember this. With my hand on yours, we shot the arrow into the future and deliverance is yours. But then he says, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. And Syria represents not just a general deliverance and promise of God for our futures, but it's also a very present promise of deliverance, a very specific promise of deliverance of what we're facing today, of what it is that today wants is threatening to consume us, is threatening to overpower us is is roaring down is so to speak into our spirits and going you know something you're no match for me and we know we're no match but yet when that arrow was shot with with God's hand so to speak over our hand and he made a promise to us he's saying that it also includes today's deliverance you will not be overpowered Syria is your traditional enemy. Syria is that place, oh God, that we all battle. That place that's difficult for us. And here is God saying, I've got your future, but I've got your today. I've got tomorrow's battle, but I have today's battle. And I will deliver you in the future, and I am delivering you today. And beloved, this is a promise, and it's not a promise of partial deliverance. It is a promise of total deliverance. And after uh, Elijah and King Joseph, were, uh, King Josiah were together, and they're shooting the arrow, the promise is also that you shall know deliverance until you have smite them and you have consumed it all. Again, the promise of total deliverance. Now, the interesting part is the direction of the prophet of God was two parts. There was the one part where the prophet was saying to this young believer, this young king, my hand is going to cover yours. You're going to draw this sword and you're going to remember it represents your deliverance. But then he says, the second part is, now I want you, young king, I want you, young believer, to take up the arrows. And this time, 
just in your hands. Just in your hands. My hand's not covering yours. Just in your hands. Take up the arrows. And it says smite, strike the ground. That word smite means strike. And the scripture says that young Josiah, Joash, took up those arrows and he smote the ground three times and then he stopped. And beloved, that word smite is in the Hebrew means defeat or conquer. And that, that picture of the ground represents the earth. I want you to take up my promise, which is what those arrows are of your deliverance. And I want you to strike the ground, the earth, everything that ties you to worldly thinking. I want you to smite that because I'm making you a promise. Everything that of your lower nature that wants to have its way, that wants to sin unbridled, that wants to go unchecked, smite that. Everything that enslaves, everything where the addictions dominate. I don't judge you, I am with you. Smite it. Conquer it, defeat it. Everything that has, that ties, that binds, that torments. You have my promise for today's deliverance. Pick up those promises and smite the ground. But then it says in verse 19 that the prophet is so startled. He's so dismayed. He's angry. He says to this young king, why did you stop? Why did you stop? Did anyone tell you to stop? Do you not understand that you are in the presence of God and he's making promises to you and that he is speaking into your spirit that I go before you, but I'm with you right now. And I want you to take my promises and I want you to trust me and I want you to look to me alone. I want you to look away. I've done, you're doing it alone, but I, you have to learn I am with you now. You should have struck that five or six times. You should have struck it double what you did. And you would have smitten your enemies till they were consumed. And beloved, I, I'm taking from this story that the, the Lord is speaking to us. And he's saying, beloved, don't decide in yourself when you feel like it's enough. Don't decide in yourself, I've tried it. And I don't... I don't see a lot of results. Don't decide in yourself that God, I've done it your way. I've, I've obeyed you. Because the prophet is trying to tell him, no, you see, what's going to get you into trouble? Leaning on your own understanding and leaning on your own strength is not going to do it for you. I have made amazing, great promises to you. But they can only be fulfilled when you put your trust in me and you listen to my word, which is able to create faith, able to create courage, able for you to overcome all the inner voices and everything that pulls you to the ground and says, can't be done, won't be done, won't be freedom. The, the spirit of God through this prophet is saying, that's not true. You're strong when my hand is on you, but you've got to learn when you pick up the promises of God and you begin to smite what binds you. You have to do it with the same faith, knowing that God is no respecter of persons. You can do this in God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Strike the ground meant something. How is it? This young king, he just kind of, all right, you want me to hit the ground? All right, 
I'll pick up the promises. I'll pick up the arrows that you've just plainly told is significant. And I'll just, I'll, I'll just hit it. I'll hit it three times. And the supernatural is in the balance. That's why Elisha is astonished. He's like, young king, why are you so indifferent? Young king, why are you so half-hearted in this? Young king, what, why when it's your turn to grasp the promises of God, you seem so removed, so unbelieving, so indifferent to what God is saying to you at this moment. He's wanted to say, when you're left on your own, when you're left on your own, why is it? This is the response I get. And he's saying, strike what binds you. Strike it repeatedly. Strike it with conviction. Strike it knowing that I am with you. Strike it even though you don't understand it and you, you, the enemy wants to say there is no deliverance, there is no hope for you in God. Know that if you will keep up and you will not drop back, you will see I am faithful to my promises and to my word. He said, why did you stop? Who told you to stop? You know, beloved, he, you know, this young king, he's going to know some victories. He, he struck three times. He's going to know some victories. Syria, he's going to have victory over Syria three times. He is. But you see, it was the heart of God and the intent of God that this king know complete victory. That he's able to destroy this enemy that's coming at him. Because now what's happening, Syria, even though he's going to know victory, Syria is going to be able to, the daily battle, the daily um, place where we need deliverance, where we need the promises of God. We're going to know some victories, but we're going to also, that problem that place of fear, that place of stronghold is going to be able to visit us at its will because it's not destroyed. Because it hasn't been dealt with in the, in the manner that God had said is yours. In the manner and the vision I have for you. What I have planned for your life. How the victories I alone give because I love you and you are mine. Because I live in you. Because I've given you a grace to be able to, uh, you don't have to have it perfect in times of battle. But I will be with you and I will be your continuing source of endurance. I'll let you believe in me even though the victory is not at that moment. Victory is coming. But this young king pulled away and left to his own devices. Somehow he became so indifferent and half-hearted. And I just want to say today, beloved, God's grace offered you and me in the hour of our deliverance is something that we need to take to heart. You know, at the end of the day, what's this story about? What's this story about? I think in some ways, we have a deficient way of understanding the grace of God. 
And I think in some ways we can have a deficient way as believers when it comes to living in the grace of God. You know, evangelical church will preach grace, grace for salvation. And we are united around that message. That famous verse that says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith. It is, it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. And we as evangelicals, the grace for salvation we've got and the grace of preaching that so that the floodgates can open and people can hear that, that there is a deliverance, a, a saving of my soul, a cleansing of my sin. It's seemingly well understood and well preached in the evangelical church. But I want to say to you, but if that is the only side of grace that is preached, we are going to end up with a young Joash situation. Because we have preached salvation and we have amazing preachers preaching salvation. All the teachings in books, the airwaves, the internet, everybody is preaching salvation, which is a good thing. And it's that mighty arrow of God's hand in our hand delivering us and saving our souls and saying, I'm be with you and your life is different now. But there's also a grace that needs to be preached for our lifestyle. There needs to be a grace and a, and a breakthrough for our lifestyle. And this side of grace that we'll go after sometimes if all we ever hear is the grace for salvation. And then our teachings, our churches, the way that we raise young people, the way we raise young believers, the way that we raise young preachers and teachers, the way that we raise up people in the pew... If we don't also open up the other avenue of grace, we too can become indifferent like that young Joash. We can over time become half-hearted and cold in our unbelief that when it's time for us to hit the ground of the, with the promises of God, the places that bind us and the places that make us fear and the places that hold us captive. If we are not understanding the grace to live a victorious lifestyle, that we have to access that grace, we can find ourselves with present strongholds undefeated when we don't have to. Titus 2, 11 and 12, and you can turn there but it says this, for the grace of God that brings salvation, the first side of grace, has appeared to all men, teaching us. Who is teaching us? Grace is teaching us. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to us, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. We should live soberly, but that means actually in your right minds righteously in right standing with God and godly in this present world right now. Grace is teaching us that you and I are going to access how to be delivered in this very present world, in this very present struggle. Grace is going to teach us how to deny 
things. You know that word denying means reject and refuse. It means reject and refuse. So grace will teach me to reject and refuse to give power to my lower nature. Yes, it may be more than a one-time struggle. Yes, it can appear repeatedly, but I will not back away from the promise of God made to me that through my salvation, he's delivered me to eternal life, has it delivered me to live with him and walk with him. But I will not refuse the grace that will teach me to deny and refuse how to live a lifestyle that is increasingly free in my life where the bondages are broken, no matter how long standing, no matter how deep, no how many years they have faced me down. I know there is a grace to refuse and to refute the the, uh, things that want to snuff me out and cause me in some ways to live a low-grade fever of unbelief while I'm saved. Grace will teach us to reject and to refuse to give power to our lower natures. Grace will teach us to reject and refuse to operate in an ungodly way. Yes, it will. You know what I love about that word grace? I don't know about you, but when I hear that, there's something about that word grace. I know it immediately includes love. I know it immediately includes a good, good father. I know it immediately includes that I can fall, but his hand will reach up to lift me up. I know it includes a God that is long-suffering and patient, but I also know That it is such an overwhelming, huge word that I have no excuse in that word. I have no excuse to back away and say, God, you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You don't understand my situation. No, grace is always pulling me forward into saying, this is your inheritance. I'm going to teach you to walk a godly lifestyle. And grace will teach us to reject and to refuse to operate in gossip. It's going to teach us to reject and to refuse to operate in envy, to operate in stealing, cheating, getting drunk. It's going to teach me to refuse and to reject what the enemy has always been able to manipulate us with. Hallelujah. Grace teaches us to reject and refuse worldly lusts. I don't need to explain to people in 2019 the scourge of pornography, the swallowing of minds, spirits, and bodies on uncounted multitudes. It is a scourge facing this earth. And beloved, I say that we have to find our voices in the scripture again that just says we can be saved, our souls can be saved, but we can also know deliverance from a very present struggle. We have to preach Christ and say he is our ability to reject and refuse pornography. He's going to come and fight that battle. This is how I fight my battles, that Lord grace, your grace is going to come and teach me. I'm not going to walk away because I didn't learn the lesson, all of it, in one swallow. I'm not going to fall for that. I'm not going to fall that I have to get it all first time or nothing. No, my God, I am being taught by grace. I am being taught by grace. 
that I can refuse and refute the strongholds. I can have hope of deliverance no matter what it is that stalks me because my God is greater. Because my God went to a cross. Because his blood was shed. That my sin would be forgiven. That he may take up residence in me. And the Holy Spirit living in me is greater than my lower nature. He's greater than the Syrians coming to the the gate to defeat me daily. Beloved, as we begin to preach a gospel that there is grace for salvation and grace for a godly lifestyle that's going to set us apart, that's going to give us hope even in the deepest struggle, day-to-day struggles of our life. Why would we pull back? Why will we not learn from young Joash's example where he picked up the promises of God? And I don't know why, but he began to strike that ground. But so to the amazement of the prophet, don't you understand what this arrow, these promises mean? Don't you know there is no enemy formed against you that can prosper when you put your faith in the total love, grace, and grace of God for the heart of every believer. So beloved, I'm convinced that deliverance is the children's bread. Not just for our souls, not just for salvation, where we come under the covering and the forgiveness of God, as amazing and as wonderful as that is. But we're going to take the whole double-barreled action of grace, as it were. Grace for salvation and grace for living a godly lifestyle. Where this grace will teach us how to refuse and refute the daily struggles, even the daily failures. Beloved, God knows what he's doing. He's just asking us not to give up. Not to decide in our own understanding, I've tried that, and walk away. Not to say, you know, I don't understand this, so, you know, I'll just walk away from my deliverance. No, beloved, we're going to learn from this young king This young believer's experience when the promises of God were made to him. That I'm that arrow is going to be for your deliverance and for the deliverance against Syria, your day-to-day common enemy. And I just thank God that as we begin to boldly proclaim the freedom found in Jesus Christ alone. When we begin to boldly proclaim there is freedom for every believer and don't give up. There is freedom. He will teach you and I to live godly in an ungodly age. And just think about this at the end. Think about what the testimony of the church will be as we begin to grasp salvation for my soul. And salvation and deliverance from my day-to-day walk from that which causes me to fail and to fear. That I don't have to get it right the first time, but I will not put my trust in any other source but the promises of God. Jesus Christ who died and gave himself for me that I might be free. 
And I'm thinking that the more that the church is able to understand and access the grace for a godly lifestyle in all areas of our lifestyle, what an amazing contrast we will be in this day and age. We truly will be light in the darkness. And I believe that as we are learning to fight these battles um, on a daily basis, and we understand that it's the grace of God that's going to be um, leading me into places of victory. It's not going to be my own strength. It's not going to be my own understanding. Know that the enemy will always try to be pushing you to, how's that going? Always wanting you to answer questions you don't and I don't have to answer. Always pushing us to be defensive. Always pushing us to uh, get to a place, you know, where we have to explain God to ourselves. No, no, we don't have to do that. What we need to do is say, I thank you, God, for the grace that saved me. I thank you for the grace that has found me and called me your own. Now that same grace is going to defeat my enemies as I open up the window. I'm not going to hide. I'm going to open up the window. And you're going to do it your way, but you're going to do it. You're going to do it your way, but you are going to do it. There's a grace to teach me how to walk free, how to deny, refuse, and refute what has been put before me. And beloved, we're going to become very uh, um, compassionate with each other. We're going to become encouragers of each other. We're not going to judge the length of days in each other's battle because that's not what's important. What's important is the promise of God that says you will have deliverance for the immediate battle as well as the long-term battle. You will know the grace of deliverance. It's your inheritance. And I thank God that from a lifestyle that becomes, we're committing it to being um, a place of, it's a godly lifestyle where grace is not just for salvation, but grace is for lifestyle. Grace is for lifestyle. And that change will bring about from this, I know will come missionaries, teachers, evangelists, pastors, people with strong marriages, people with strong families, believing children from this place when they see how great our God is. We were not tricked into trading our deliverance for a low-grade place of captivity and unbelief. No, 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 no. There is grace, a double-action grace for the life of believers. So, you know, we... um, We've had uh, seasons of revival. We've had seasons of uh, prayer and fasting at Times Square. And in those times, we have heard of young people, everyone standing to testify how God had delivered them from mighty things. And I just want to encourage you that our God, that's his intention. He's making war on what's made war on us. And he always wins. And we will not give up. And we will not go half-hearted. We will believe. And we will take up the promises. Strike the ground that binds us. And become encouragers one to another. Because grace for salvation and grace for a godly lifestyle is what's going to set us apart and bring glory to God. I'm just going to now ask if we can please stand. And we're going to give an altar call. 
And after the altar call is given, we're going to turn it over and Pastor Carter and the pastors there are going to be able to um, lead us in this time of letting God minister to us by his grace. And I'm just going to put an altar call out for um, an altar call that I'm answering myself. And the altar call is this. God, I hear you today. And I'm opening up the windows into those places that you see and I know. And I thank you, God, that your grace is going to visit me. And I'm not going to become defeated and half-hearted in the Syrian battle, in the day-to-day, close-at-hand battle. For you have determined deliverance. That's what your words said to me. That I get deliverance in the long haul of my life and I get deliverance in my day-to-day battle. And I thank you for letting this word find me to do what it can do. Create faith in your love and your goodness. To let me know that since I am saved, you are delighted now to work with me. And to remind me that deliverance is my bread. So feed us this day with hope with power and the belief that we will know deliverance for a God that we may translate into this lifestyle of grace that shines for you. Lord God, we thank you. God, we believe you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. You are the determining factor. God, it's you. It is you, God. We know to whom we are praying. God, you are our Savior. You are our Father. You are grace. You are the embodiment of grace, God. And we thank you for that. So we come to you today in faith. God, we don't have to beg you for anything. We don't have to stress ourselves out. We just simply come to the Father. We come to Jesus, who is grace. Grace is a person. Freedom is a person. And it is Jesus. So Lord, I ask you tonight, God, that you would touch every person that has come forward, God. Every honest heart that has come forward knowing who they are. They know their struggles. They know their issue. But God, you are greater than our struggles. You are greater than our issues. You are God. You have us in the palms of your hand. And like your word says that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. God, so we trust you. We entrust ourselves to you. We entrust our lives to you. And God, we simply take your hand and go with you on this journey. I thank you, God, that you love us. I thank you that you don't judge us. I thank you that you don't condemn your people. You don't condemn anyone with an honest heart. You don't reject anyone, God. You embrace every single person that comes to you in honesty, in humility, and says, Jesus, Son of God, would you help me? Would you save me? Would you set me free? And God, you are faithful to do it. We trust you. We thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, today, today is the first time for many of you that 
you're going to say, we're not living with yesterday's victories. Thank God for them. But we're going to keep striking the ground. We're going to keep believing God. We're going to press forward in Christ because we have an inheritance of life. And Jesus said it was an abundant life he died to give us. A meaningful, a full, a sin-separated life on this earth that represents him to people. Father, thank you, God. Thank you for this wonderful word that painted a picture in our minds that we will never forget. Thank you, Lord, that your nail-scarred hands have covered ours, O oh God. And you've promised us strength, Lord, to overcome. Thank you for the thought that we are more than conquerors already through Christ who loved us. God, give us the grace to believe every promise that you speak to us from your word and to take it and to smite the devil right in his forehead where it belongs, oh God. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Deliverance is our inheritance. Strength is our portion. And an abundant life is our future. Help us, oh God. And give us the grace to believe. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.